Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to the Colts Cover 2 Podcast. I am Joel A. Erickson. I am joined, as always, by Nate Atkins. Um, this is going to be one of those podcasts where you can clearly hear uh, that we are, are paying attention to other things. So I'm just going to warn you for that off the top. Uh, free agency has started. We are in the in the middle of it right now. So far, not much from the Colts. They re-signed Taekwon Lewis. Um, I'm told and have, have reported that Javier Carrique is, is almost certainly not coming back. I think that that's probably something most of you knew, given the linebacker depth chart and what they've already invested in that position. But it's you know nice to have. Uh, we we haven't done a podcast since the Carolina Panthers uh, shook up the draft by tr- by trading uh, up into the Bears spot uh, to get the number one pick. Which and and we're gonna, this is going to be an interesting to, discussion because we're going to be talking a lot about process here when it comes to getting a quarterback and. Uh, teams are going to have a lot of, or we're, we're going to have a lot of discussion about the process. But the the hard part is, when it comes to quarterback, there's a lot of different ways to get this right, and a lot of different ways to get this wrong. And there's examples for all of those different ways on both sides. Um, so I'm going to start that there. I was I was talking about uh, if if you are somebody who thinks that they should trade up, then you're probably citing Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen. If you're somebody who thinks they shouldn't trade up, you're probably citing Mitch Trubisky. <laughs> Um, yep, Sam or, Darnold, or Sam Darnold, or Carson Wentz, or or one of those guys. Uh, if if you think they should just sit there and uh, wait until the number four pick, um, you're probably citing like Justin Herbert, I guess, somebody like that, um, and just be be fine with taking whoever. Uh, if not, the basically the entire Broncos uh, regime for about ten years. <laughs> kind of falls into that. Paxton Lynch sort of falls into that category. And then if you're if there's really sitting and waiting and I'm waiting till the second round, then if you if you like that idea, you're talking about Jalen Hurts. And if not, you're talking about guys like Drew Locke and um, you know, Geno Smith with the Jets and some of these other places where guys were taken in the second round and didn't pan out. That that's the thing about that's the thing about drafting a quarterback. There's it's it's such an uncertain it's been such an uncertain thing that there are different ways to get all of them. You know, there's, there's different ways that all of these guys have been picked up and like people say, well, you know, they didn't have to trade into the top. I've had somebody, some people say like they didn't have to trade in the top five to get Mahomes. They had to go from 27, I think to 10. It's a huge jump up the board. And everything I've read about Kansas city's pursuit of Patrick Mahomes was very clear that they, they decided that was the guy that they thought, could be a true franchise quarterback, worked with the agent in the pre-draft process to keep other teams off the trail, knew exactly who they needed to jump. Like, that was their guy. They targeted him and traded up to get him and made a big move up. So you can you can do all of that stuff. That's the thing is, is there's, there's 
a different way to there's different ways to do this and we're about to get into this i'm going to ask you for your thoughts on the trade and i'll have mine uh just because the colts didn't trade into number one doesn't mean they won't be able to find a quarterback in the future and just because the panthers gave up stuff to go to number one doesn't mean that they're going to regret that yeah a lot of it just depends on who the quarterback is that you end up getting and how they play like that's that's the hard part is we're we're talking a lot about process right now and ultimately we don't know whether or not it's going to work we don't know right now we can't no we don't and that kind of discussion for teams comes down to kind of where like where you think this class is and where you think what you think's worth what so there's two different trains of thought that's out there right now where there's uh where the colts are which is what chris ballard told us at the combine which is this idea that there's not a guy worth trading up to number one for that it's hard to separate uh the four quarterbacks at the top of this class that they can work in different ways they just hired a coach and shane steichen who's worked with different quarterbacks so why mortgage everything to go up and get that guy and then there's the other train of thought that i've heard in the panthers i think clearly follow which is there's a clear separation between a couple guys at the very top who are ready to step in day one and be your starter and be your guy and just start that process immediately. And then there's other guys who aren't because the Panthers were in talks with the Cardinals to make a trade up to number three. And that's a little cheaper than to trade up all the way to number one. If they, if they were in that camp where they said any of the top four are fine with us or any of three, then that's what they would have done. But it's not what they did because the Panthers, like the Colts, need a quarterback right now. They're not like it, it is all about what your team needs and what you think can solve that. And so teams like the Seahawks and Lions, uh, you know, those teams have starting quarterbacks. They may be more open to players than the Panthers are who are like, hey, we need a quarterback like right now. We don't have a current guy. That's that's kind of where I fell on this is more with the Panthers. If you need a quarterback. If you don't have one currently on your roster that you're going to start, rather than create this sort of extra hitch in the process of bringing another guy from the outside, pay him, start him, create a waiting game with a top five pick, and then move to that guy, I think it was more sensible just to go up to number one. And because I, I do think there are two guys who can start day one uh, in CJ Stroud and Bryce Young, and the others I have much larger questions about. I think it gets a lot messier, but not everyone sees it that way. And also, you know, it depends on what you think you can do as far as signing a bridge and going down that route. But certainly it's not a surprise that the Colts stayed put. It's it's just never been Chris Ballard's style to trade such a premium to go up in the draft like that. Uh, you know, the price that I that that's been reported out there and that I had heard talking to people was that like the Bears were looking for three number one picks. And the reason that they took two from the Panthers is that they saw DJ Moore as another first round pick. And so the Colts did not have that same piece. They had Michael Pittman Jr., who you could make an argument about the long term potential of, but he's not under contract. He's going to hit free agency in a year, whereas DJ Moore is signed for three years. So for them to match the value at money and not just signed for three years, but signed for three years at money that I think is going to end up looking and probably even right now, I'm calling up the contract right now just to remind myself. But I think it's money that looks pretty reasonable for his production, given yeah. what other wide receivers have gotten. You know, wide receiver last year sort of jumped into a 
like 30 million a year for a, a top guy uh, sort of range. And more, I believe, his extension is kind of more in the 18 million, 20 million. Well, less 20 million. that. 20 million average annual value. Um, with cap hits, with cap hits after this year. So, man, this is a good, yeah. <laughs> this is a good it contract is. for DJ Moore. He's at his cap hits are twenty million dollars this year, which does not matter to Chicago at all. Just doesn't. Uh, and then they have they have so much cap room. And then the next two years, it's just sixteen million dollars of cap hit. That is considering his production as somebody who's been. Who, up until last year, he'd been over a thousand yards three seasons in a row with bad quarterbacks. Um, yep. you know, that's that's a really reasonable deal, and that plays into the first round valuation to me too. It's just oh, totally. that's that's a guy with a lot of production, long history of production, still young, very affordable. Um, I, I know sixteen million dollars doesn't sound like it's super affordable, but again, like. Guys like Christian, uh, Christian Kirk was getting $21 million a year last year. Like that DJ Moore is better than that. Yeah. Um, you know, so that's that the contract plays into it too. And I think why he, why he's a first round pick the uh, it's, uh, it's hard to tell. I think with the Colts, if they, if they wanted to move to number one or not, I think probably what's going to happen is they're going to suggest that, uh, they weren't sold on anybody. I, I, my biggest problem with it is if, if, if what's going on right now, and I don't think we're going to find this out because whoever the Colts end up drafting, they're going to tell us that was their, that was their guy. Um, but my problem with it would be if, if they're doing a, none of these options are perfect. So we're willing to take the leftovers. I don't like that because it feels like the vet strategy that they've had just applied to the rookies. Yeah. I don't love that. Um, That's a fair point. If, if they really like, say uh, we were just discussing before we started the podcast, based on what we've read from elsewhere and stuff, it feels like Stroud is, is the guy who's probably Carolina's target. I'm, I'm basing that based on um, several local Panthers reporters who who have team who seem to have team sources to me reporting that the team likes Anthony Richardson but considers him more of a project. So I'm I'm kind of looking at that. So if it's Stroud and Young, if you're if you're the Colts and you really want to do the upside play with Anthony Richardson and and that's why you didn't move up because you feel like he's going to fall there and that's the guy you want is 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 the is Richardson, then then at least you're you're going for the guy you want. If if it's more of a I'm I, I I don't see a, a perfect thing, so I'm just willing to take whatever ends up in my spot. That's that's the process part of it that I don't love. Yeah, that's the part that would scare me because then then you would start to look at the Shane Steichen hire as almost almost like a management of those fears. Is you bring in this coach who has worked with, you know, the, the reason we talked him up was that he had worked with Philip Rivers, Justin Herbert. Uh, and, and Jalen Hurts, three very different style of quarterbacks, so it made him uniquely suited to work with different styles. But that should not lead you to the place where you say, well, give him anybody, whatever the draft spits out at us, give it to him, and let's hope for the best. Hope is not a plan. So they've got to create a plan for each guy that 
they're looking at on this board. This is, these are the steps we want to take as far as the personnel around him, as far as the bridge quarterback, if we need one, or, or how good he needs to be, as far as when he's going to come in and start, as far as, you know, you know the, just the schematic elements. How much do you run that guy versus how much, you know, is he a drop back passer? Uh, lots of different things play into this. And so just to decide that on, well, we'll wait till we get to the draft and see which one it is, and then just sort of adjust the plan there in May, I that would scare me a lot. And so that's what's tricky about this, though, is that, like, the Colts realized that the only way to number one was to pay something that, just in a in a paper value sense would seem crazy to go from four to one and give up. I think they would have had to give up three first round picks. At least they would have had to give up two, you know, in, in a bunch of other stuff, which is what the Panthers gave up because the Bears so badly wanted a veteran wide receiver for Justin Fields. If they're going to stick with him and trade down, that was huge to them. And Michael Pimmons not under contract. So it's in an ironic way, they're like the Colts ended up paying for in some ways for their lack of receiver investments and options there over the years. Uh, if they had had a little bit more there, maybe maybe that makes a difference and, and they're in the top spot at number four. But the thing about it is if even if their plan is Anthony Richardson and they're like, you know what, we don't think the team train up to one's going to take him. We don't think the Texans are. They still got to go to number three to make that happen, or at least to know they can make it happen. And from what I I've, I've been reading out there and hearing, the Cardinals have had a pretty high bar for that pick too. Uh, Peter King yeah, reported I think, the. I think Albert Breer reported this might be what you're about to say, but I think Albert Breer reported today that part of the reason the Panthers went to one is that the difference in price between going to three and going to one was not that big, and they're like, "Well, if we're going to go to three, we might as well go to one if it doesn't cost yeah. that much more." Yeah, yeah, that's exactly where I was going to go, and that's just very interesting. It, in it. It could go one of two ways, though. I mean, I think what the Colts would be banking on is the fact that they're one spot below the Cardinals. And in this scenario, if quarterbacks go one, two, three, they still get the best non-quarterback. It's easy to just take something that's, you know, that's of some value when it doesn't change your board at all. But again, all that all that has to happen is a team like the Falcons or the Titans, uh, you know, they decide to trade up because they want Anthony Richardson and they give up something. The Colts are flat out like an extra one. The Colts are not willing to do. And that's what the Cardinals want. That's what you got to really watch out for here. The Cardinals have a new GM and a new head coach. And they come in with sort of a, I would imagine they're going to take a longer term view with where that roster is. And just as an aside, the, you know, money Austin for the Cardinals GM came from Tennessee. And if the Titans want to leapfrog their division rival, they, you know, for a quarterback like Anthony Richardson, if they're in love with him, they may be willing to offer an extra one. And, and Chris Ballard then has to decide, is he willing to do it? And if he is, you know, at some point you wonder, was it more sensible just to go to number one, unless that's your favorite guy? So these are all the things that they're having to think through. It's very challenging. And I think you could fall on either side as far as, you know, should Chris Ballard have overpaid to go to number one? Is a quarterback worth that? Um, you know, I, I think what's unique about the Colts, and I don't think it's talked about enough, is that they need a quarterback of the future and a quarterback of right now. And that really matters with how many they've run through, how many changes they've put their personnel under, uh, and then to bring in a new coaching staff and develop one system for one guy and flip it to the next. Like, they really have to have a good plan here, because we were talking before we started this, of if you're going to draft a quarterback to sit him intentionally, 
you need to be very intentional about that with the quarterback you signed to start above him. How long can he hold the job? Is he stylistically similar? Can he work well with the rookie or is he going to kind of give off some bad lessons that maybe you don't want that rookie to take? They just put them, they're making it harder on themselves. They're keeping all these picks and they're, that could end up being great, but they're making it harder to nail that specific position by not being in control of the picks. Yeah. I, I, my preference all along has been to find somebody you like and go get him. Um, but the reality of this thing is, you know, who knows? They might end up with the fourth quarterback and that person might end up being, or the third quarterback and that person might end up in the long term being the right one. Just from a, a philosophical standpoint, I think my biggest thing was kind of where I started. Just, I don't want a leftover mentality at that position anymore. I got to um, stop settling. Uh, And I don't know, like, going because that's kind of been part of that's part of the reason they're they're here. Not just because they didn't like necessarily go for Matt Stafford or whatever, but they also didn't take the risk of trying to go get one of these young guys, like Justin Herbert or somebody like that, trying to go get one of those guys uh, or Justin Fields. You know, they they got themselves out of those situations. They haven't been willing to take the big swing on anybody to make sure they got somebody. I wanted the big swing. Um, now I say that whoever they draft, even if it does feel like a leftover, even if they're picking at four, or even if they take Will Anderson at four and trade back into the end of the first and take Hennon Hooker, like that player is going to have a shot. That player is going to have a shot to be successful. Shane Steichen, I, I do think. Part of the appeal of Shane Steichen and the thing that most interests me is his willingness to uh, is his willingness to change the offense and do whatever it takes to make sure a a quarterback is going to succeed. Like, what do I have to do? What do I have to do for the offense to make sure this quarterback is going to succeed? So whoever they take, there's there's a chance. And all of this stuff is philosophical right now, but. Honestly, it's all we have to talk about until the guy gets here and we have a chance to see them on the field. So, um, yeah, I whoever they sign, I, I, it's a lot of quarterbacks have gone off. We're we're taping this at a couple hours into three hours into free agency, three and a half hours into the, the free agent period. I'm not even going to throw out negotiating period. Like twenty deals have been agreed to already. There's no point in saying negotiating. Um, we're, we're three and a half hours into free agency here and there's four or five quarterbacks off the board already, including like Mike white, who uh, kind of fits into that. Like he could be a placeholder type that shifts into a backup pretty easily. He's already gone to Miami. So there's a couple of guys like that that are already off the board. Marcus Mariota I've been told is a possibility here. Um, he just did that last year in Atlanta. (laughs) He just did the same thing in Atlanta. Um, he's got some of the mobility. So if you take a guy like Anthony Richardson um, and Richardson is be, is playing the backup, you could you could have some of the elements in the offense already. So if, say, your starting quarterback goes down in the first quarter in week four, um, there's already stuff in the in the game plan for him um, for the for the uh, super mobile backup. But uh, it'll be interesting to see where all that goes. If anybody else shakes loose. Uh, but ultimately, it just it just comes down to who are they going to get? And like you said, like it could work out for the Colts. The strategy that they're doing could work out. They could be right. I just 
in talking about the risks of, with, with each prospect, I feel like at this current part of the of the offseason cycle, everything is about like all the ways these guys can fail. And there's no upside. Like it's it seems like we're talking about like there's no upside. Like they're done. They're done developing. And I I just don't know if that's true with any of these guys. I mean, like I get that there's no Joe Burrow or Trevor Lawrence, but again, we we did this on the last pod. I'm going to do it again. Like we keep looking at the top three quarterbacks in the NFL. Okay, so Burrow was that kind of a prospect, a clear number one after what happened at LSU his last year. The other two are Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen, who went seven and ten for reasons. There was there were risks to them. They're, at the time, going back to when they were prospects, there were significant concerns about both of those players. And there was way more upside there than a lot of people realized. Same thing with Herbert. Justin Herbert's another good example of that. Like there was a lot of stuff said about Justin Herbert in that pre pre-draft process that made people think, oh, I don't know. There's a lot of stuff he's got to answer here. I mean, it hasn't been perfect, but he's really good. And so there's more upside to these prospects than maybe we realize. Like CJ Stroud's one that I, I think of is maybe the best example of this. Like the big knock on CJ Stroud is that he doesn't use his legs enough. But if the Georgia version of CJ Stroud is the version that probably the Panthers are getting, there's a ton of upside to that player. That was a different level of play from him in that in the last game we saw him in. That Georgia so CJ Stroud is basically Justin Herbert. Yeah, like there's it's just a very different there's some upside to these guys, and there's upside to guys that people are completely out on, like Will Levis. There just is. Yeah. Um, so it it'll be interesting to see what happens. It's it's hard talking about this stuff right now because we don't really have any of the answers. We we can lay out for you the risks and the rewards and everything like that. But we don't have any of the answers until somebody's here and we get a chance to hear from the Colts, like what their strategy was. I'm probably going to get uh, some information from Ballard and Jim Irsay at the owners meetings here in a couple of weeks. That'll be probably our first time to, to kind of get their, their view of what Carolina's trade was and why they didn't trade up in terms of what they say publicly. Uh, we'll get more of that after the draft, after they make the pick, after we see what they've done. But it is it is interesting because, like I said, I think you and I were both on the same on the on the same train, which is like taking taking the best of what's left hasn't worked for them as vets. Don't do that with the rookie. Go yep. get him. And they decided not to do that. Carolina decided to do that. And again, with what here, here's the other piece of it. I, people were kept uh, a lot of people saying like, well, they clearly gave up way too much. Carolina um, Carolina gave up way too much to move up there. Not. Here's my answer to that. Not if the guy's great. Yeah. If the Panthers get their quarterback for the next 10 or 15 years with that pick, doesn't matter what they gave up. It just doesn't. Yeah. It just doesn't. And people are like, well, they can't build out their team. The Panthers, if, I, if I'm right here, the Panthers headed into this free agency with the possibility of having $156 million in salary cap space next year. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think people realize, like, you look around the league right now at some of the quarterback deals going out there. Daniel Jones getting $40 million a year. You can bring in a rookie quarterback who for four years will make, like, $7 million a year. Or less than that, depending on where you get him. I mean, like, Jalen Hurts, you look up, like, you want to know why the Eagles were the team they were, where it felt like they had 
pro bowlers and backups who are pro bowlers or could have been pro bowlers. I mean, it has everything to do with like what they're paying at the quarterback position. And, uh, you know, like Jalen Hurts here last season, uh, that was the one year his cap had actually went up. It spiked to 4.7 million. <laughs> I mean, like that is nothing. That's like Matt Ryan. The Colts will save 18 million by not having Matt Ryan this year, and they will pay him 17 million in dead money if he's not on the roster. So Jalen Hurts made 4.5 million last year. That's how you build a massive roster. And then what happens is if you hit on that position, if you really hit on it, then you make up the value in later times. There's one reason why Juju Smith-Schuster signed for the vet minimum in Kansas City this year. It's because they have Patrick Mahomes. And you will get these guys to sign for one-year deals where they can spotlight yeah. their talents with the best in the world and then go somewhere else in free agency, and then you get comp picks. And it's not, and it's not just, and it's not just offensive players either. Patrick Peterson, in a clip that was going around this morning, that was really interesting. Um, Patrick Peterson was saying his goal for this free agency is to sign with a team that can get him a trophy. So that's a cornerback, which is a position of need for Cincinnati, and he specifically mentioned the Bengals as a team that he'd like to play for. Now, I don't, I don't know if Cincinnati is in on Peterson or if he's going to sign there or whatever, but Patrick Peterson, it was before free agency was even starting, was looking at Cincinnati as a possibility because he wants to win. And why, why, why did the Bengals have a chance to win? Because of Joe Burrow. Yeah, and that's a great – the Bengals are the best example maybe of this because, like, there's a reason why that team never signed free agents for, like, two decades and then all of a sudden started doing it the past couple of years. One of the reasons is they have a really cheap quarterback financially in Joe Burrow, but the other reason is, like, guys want to play there now. The Bengals are one of these unique teams that, uh, like, they don't want to offer guaranteed money to the third year. And so, like, they have a lot of terms with free agents that has not made them a destination in past years. But now players are signing these short-term deals with them in order to try to cash in on this Joe Burrow window and win. And this is – and look, like, if you end up – yeah, if you're a defensive player, if you're a pass rusher – uh, like a Trey Hendrickson, and you go and you're, you're displaying what you can do on the biggest stages, AFC Championship game and Super Bowl, you'll make even more money. It's very attractive to players to chase that kind of environment. And not, and then not only that, but the quarterback, like they make up for the things that you over time you don't have to spend as much. The Chiefs traded Tyreek Hill to the Dolphins and then won the Super Bowl because they were able to cut their spending on wide receiver way down because their quarterback is that great. He can turn – a Juju Smith-Schuster who's a good but not great player into a thousand-yard type of player because that's sort of the advantage. It's everything the Colts had with Andrew Luck. Sorry to bring up old scars, but why it felt like Chris Ballard was such a good GM in that moment is that the Chris Ballard method is to draft and develop and re-sign your guys and approach them early and win them over with your culture and ask them, why would you want to go anywhere else? If you hit on quarterback, you can do that. If you constantly have this constantly – you know, rotating wheel at quarterback, you you pretty much have no chance of doing that. And last year was their last window to try. They were able to get Stephon Gilmore in part because he was a guy who wanted to go somewhere, you know, that could be competitive for a ring. Like they're they're past that level of uh, of, of signing a veteran and instilling that. They've got to build it in the draft. That is, unless uh, they chase one other option that that we've discussed briefly, which is I'm writing about today, which is try and get in on Lamar Jackson. So that's the interesting one that's out there. I ultimately don't think the Colts are going to be a team that solves the riddle with Jackson, which is guaranteed money and having 
that money up front is the whole kind of issue owners are having. I think the Colts plus it's, are in a plus tough spot first, to do that. Plus it's two first round picks. Well, see that part though, if you think about it, would you rather give up two first round picks for Lamar Jackson and pay him a lot of money or three first round picks for a rookie, which is what it would have cost to go to number one? Yeah, that's fair. You know, it just depends on where you kind of fall on that. I, I personally like, I'll be right about if this actually could work out, I think Lamar would be, I would absolutely go down that road knowing there's risks with that too. Obviously he's, he's missed 10 games the past two years and you're paying a lot of money to a player like that. But I also think that there are things they could do to minimize the risk while putting him in a system with Shane Steichen borrowed right from the Eagles. That is pretty perfectly suited. Not only yes. for Lamar's dual threat abilities, but also to get more out of him as a passer, which I think is the thing Baltimore has not done. I, I, I let's let's talk about. We were planning on talking about Jackson, but let's talk about Jackson for a little bit. I, I understand a lot of the discussion of why, um, like team people wondering why Jackson hasn't gotten the investment, right? And why someone isn't willing to pony up the guaranteed money in the picks, given given that Jackson's been an MVP. You already mentioned this. I I actually think that the 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 durability thing is more significant here than people are are realizing, because like last year at this time, four teams were in on Deshaun Watson heavily, and Watson has a torn ACL in his history, and he has a and he has. And, you know, awful stuff off the field. And there were still four teams in there, and one of them was willing to guarantee his contract. You know what I mean? Like, to me, you'd be – Watson is much, much, much riskier, and I still feel this way. I still feel like the Browns should didn't do the right thing by giving him the guaranteed money. But there were teams much more willing, it seemed like, to get in on, on that than they were to get on – than they are to get in on Jackson. But you said he's missed 10 games? Past two years. So – so the thing with here's the thing, like Jackson, the way Jackson runs, you, you'd have to be able to minimize the pounding he's taking. And the guy that I keep thinking about, and it's it's easy to think about because we've been talking about him a lot, and Colts fans have been talking about him a lot with with with, with the Anthony Richardson possibilities, is Cam Newton. Cam Newton, if you go look at his career, he really had eight years with Carolina. There were really eight years where he was a a quarterback you can win with. And, you know, took him to the Super Bowl, a lot of playoff appearances. Not perfect by any means. There was there were issues with with Newton as a as an NFL quarterback. I, I don't know. I think I think maybe that's uh we don't want to overstate Newton, but there was really just about eight years before his body began to break down. And we've said this before on this podcast. If if Cam Newton can break down physically, anyone can break down physically. Uh and so the injury, the injury part of it makes me wonder if that's maybe a bigger calculation for NFL teams and people are willing to give it right now. Um, because he's already played, Jackson's already played five years in the NFL. Yep. He's already played five seasons in the NFL. He's had leg issues the last two seasons. If you sign him for $250 million guaranteed at five years and the window's eight years, you're nervous about those final two years. I would be, yeah. you know, and 
I, I just don't think it's as simple as there's a good player, just give him the guaranteed money he wants. I, I do think that there's a long-term calculation with Jackson that is maybe harder than people realize, just given the history of quarterbacks who run that yeah. much. Yeah, no doubt. It's it's a very complicated situation, and you got to look at it from both sides because that's why the Ravens or other teams are hesitant to give him that deal. You can see why Lamar, though, is – why he's asking for the guarantee money is he's saying I'm getting hurt because you designed a system where I have to do everything and run the ball right. all the time. And that's going to get me hurt. And you're going to, I'm happy to do it. It's like, kind of like with Debo Samuel last year was obviously a different position, but he was the point where Debo Samuel said, if you want me to play running back and wide receiver, that's fine, but I'm going to need the money and guarantees for the pounding that that's going to put on me. And I don't want to hear in two years that, Oh, you're not the same player anymore when you're the ones who did that to me. So you can see yeah. why Lamar's, Taking that too. What's the middle ground here? I think it's kind of tough. I think the Colts, like the, I would not be surprised if they meet with him. I'll say that um, in the coming weeks, they're they're turning over every rock uh, as they have to, especially after this trade. And if they go down that road and they're trying to find a way here, they they're not going to be able to. They're not going to be a team. I don't think that gets two hundred fifty million dollars guaranteed. The thing is that owners have to put that into escrow to prove that it's going to be there. And that's a lot of owners are going to have that problem. And Jim Mercy would certainly have that problem. I think they have to more have a conversation with Lamar about how um, they can kind of extend his career and they can get him out of some of these injuries. And I do think there's a, I do think there's a route here where that can be done because the Ravens, you know, it's just kind of interesting. Like the past three years, they are 31st in wide receiver spending, which is completely unacceptable for a team with a quarterback on a rookie deal. Like they've put nothing at wide receiver. So it's turned a lot of these pass plays into run plays. And Lamar has never attempted more than 401 passes in a season. I mean, by context, just the past two years, Jalen Hurts has attempted 432 and 460. And that's considered a running quarterback. And that's the guy who's developing. Like he's throwing the ball a ton more than Lamar is because there's just nothing at wide receiver. And not only is, are they not, is he not throwing the ball as much out wide is that they, he hasn't had a running back more than 805 yards since 2019. And that year he had Mark Ingram who went for a thousand yards. He won the MVP. So you give him a Jonathan Taylor, a lot of his runs turn into Taylor's runs and you're almost using Lamar more as the deception on, on a lot of plays. You know, you can run these, uh, these read option plays or, or versions of the RPO, the slow RPO to where Jackson's mobility is a huge asset but it's not just in him carrying the ball. So I think there's a world where they can craft this. It's it's They're going to have to be super creative about it. Again, if they go down this road, we will see uh, down the road as far as meeting with him. But I think that that's the best way is to pitch him on, you know, this, this sort of new style where it's like you're still maintaining a lot of his athleticism, but he's not the one running the ball all the time. You'll get him more wide receivers. Uh, I mean, that's going to be a challenge for them because they're not a franchise that puts a ton into wide receiver either. But this is sort of the pitch I think I would make to Lamar to try to find some middle ground on the contract because they're, if he wants a fully guaranteed deal that's short-term like her cousins got from the Vikings, that's more realistic because at least owners can come up with whatever it is, $90 million to put in escrow. They just it's The hard thing is getting to $250 million or justifying it by the current track record. They just have to kind of find a new way. But I would absolutely go down this road because the alternative is if he's willing to agree to your, a contract, if there's a route to do it, you're asking yourself is, would you rather spend the number four pick on Will Levis or Anthony Richardson or 
spend that pick plus next year's first to go get a more proven player like Lamar that you don't have to sit and wait on. I think it's certainly an interesting option. Well, I mean, Colts fans know what Lamar can do. I mean, he destroyed them the last time they played Baltimore. Indianapolis had an, had an enormous lead, and Lamar brought them all the way back. I mean, and it was a lot of it was done with his with his arm too. I mean, there's 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 an obvious upside to what he can do from with his arm. I think it's probably a good a good segue into free agency. It's kind of hard to know. It's hard for me to know. And I wrote a story last week about what's Chris is Chris Ballard going to be different in free agency than he's been in the past. It's kind of hard to even. It's kind of hard for me to even say that he should be. Uh, yeah, I, this I is a weird prefer, year. I, that's probably too strong. I don't want to say that. I think he needs to change his free agent approach. I want more swings at Danico Autry type players where you get them on a good deal and they outperform it. I would like more of that, even, even in the current roster building situation. Because they signed Autry when they didn't know they were going to be good. And then he ended up being more than than people than his contract. He he was definitely worth way more than the contract he signed in Indianapolis. But this there's a couple of things working against I think the Colts being super active in free agency this year. Number one, kind of what you said, this is not a finishing pieces Colts team anymore. Like they've been operating on a maybe we're a finishing pieces team because they thought we get the uh a st- get some stability at quarterback, you're gonna have uh a chance to win the division and maybe go deep in the playoffs. Well, it didn't turn out that way. And so now you're looking at, at, at a rebuild. And if you're getting a rookie quarterback, now if it's Lamar and they haven't signed anybody and then they end up signing Lamar later, then I'm, then I'm, then I'm more upset about it. Um, because you should be finished trying to get finishing pieces around Lamar. Yeah. Uh, but if, if it's, if it's what most people think it is where you're drafting a quarterback, they're not in theory going to contend this year. In fact, right. in reality, they're they're not going to contend for the South this year. I I was trying the other day to think of somebody who a rookie quarterback who was good enough right away to keep their team to elevate their team into the playoffs, and I couldn't come up with one. Recent, at Luck. least a recent one. Yeah, Andrew Luck, but Andrew Luck's that's not recent anymore. No. That's a decade. That's more than a decade ago. Yeah. You know, uh, and that includes all of the big names that have been drafted recently. They didn't do as much their rookie seasons. And then the other the other piece of this that I think is is instructive is it's a terrible free agent market. It is yeah. not good unless you need a linebacker, which the Colts almost should probably. If Chris Ballard's the GM, I don't. The Colts should never sign an outside free agent linebacker. Nope. He's really good at drafting those. He's he's got issues at, at more important positions like edge rusher drafting wise. He's really good at drafting linebackers, and the team is really good at developing linebackers. So, like, depth at linebacker in free agency, who cares? Like, and, and a lot of the other positions, a lot of the other positions are really thin. And guys are probably going to get more money than they're worth. And I don't know that that's, and that's always been where Ballard doesn't want to go. Now, should he maybe overpay for some of these guys? Maybe. But, uh Sorry, there's a just a guard signing. I was just curious who it was. Um, but that that to me is part of it. Is for for listeners who are wondering who I was talking about, it's just the Bears signing a Titans guard. I, I have I have to pay attention to all of these. Um, 
But uh, it's just interesting because they, they don't, they traditionally haven't been that active in free agency. And there's a couple of things I think working against them doling out big money. Now, again, before you get really mad at me and say, don't defend Ballard for his free agent strategy, I, 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 I'm not. I do think there should be more plays like the Autry, like Jabal Sheard, some of these defensive line signings that they've gotten for less than the top of market that have been very successful. Um, they've done. They've had some some really good plays in the secondary too, as well. Like there need to be more of those signings and fewer of the we're just going to sign a random guy who started before for a million dollars and hope that he can be more than he was. Like that, I don't want more of those. I think that they could be more involved. I'm just saying there's some stuff working against that in this class because there's just not a lot out there. There's not a lot out there, and this isn't a team looking for finishing pieces anymore. That's the thing. It's it's the mix of those couple of things. They're in a different spot. They're taking more of a long term approach now, which is leads you less into free agency often. My big thing with Chris Ballard, though, is like I, I what I would like to see him change is like don't mail it in at positions where you have to replace somebody important. So the past two years, they've had retirements where Anthony Costanza retires. They need a left tackle. They go out and they get Eric Fisher, a guy coming off of an ACL tear late in the season and didn't work out. Uh, you know, we talk about Charles Leno was a much safer option that year. Uh, the next year, Jack Doyle retires and he's the key to their run game in a lot of ways. And they just promoted the number two guy, re-signed Mo Alley Cox. And now, according to ESPN, they're shopping Mo Alley Cox because they realize that that deal, that they give him a three-year deal when he's not really suited to be as much of the tight end one as they were looking at. Can I can I just say though that doesn't make sense to me. If if they get if they really do trade Moali Cox, they don't have a blocking tight end left. Unless they think Drew Ogletree is that. I know, but my understanding of what they thought of Ogletree was that Ogletree was the move tight end that Jack Doyle was. Now it's harder because I don't know how Steichen wants to deploy his tight ends. You know, it's different, but like Moali Cox is like the extra tackle. And they don't have, I don't think they have that. Like Ogletree, I think, was supposed to be the more versatile guy, blocking wise. And like, I, I, part of this is me going off of the previous offense. But if, unless, if, if Shane Steichen doesn't want that in his offense, then I understand it. But if, if there's a spot in the running game for that kind of extra tackle guy, I don't understand getting rid of Mo Ali Cox. I just don't. Like, because you're, you're yeah. not going to get that with Jelani Woods all of a sudden. Jelani Woods to me, like if I, if I'm Jelani, if I'm looking at Jelani Woods, I'm going, I want to up everything he does in the passing game and try to tap into that right now. Yeah, no, I, I could see it being a world where they just they're happy to move forward with three tight ends, you know, with Kylan Granson there as the F tight end, and um, all of a sudden you have an F tight end, you have a move tight end, you have the seam stretcher type, and you don't feel like you want or need the extra tackle type as much anymore. Steichen might not want that. That's that's the part here that I don't know. Steichen might yeah. not care. I guess my point, though, with Mo Alley-Cox was that, like, last year at this time, there were so many tight ends who were more either more established or maybe a little bit more uh, higher upside on the market for not very expensive guys like Tyler Conklin and Hayden Hurst and uh, Austin Hooper. And that was a, a position they decided was incredibly important how they wanted to run the ball and that they wanted to run the ball a ton. And they 
they just kind of nailed that one in. So Chris Ballard, when he has these very important positions to his scheme and he loses somebody to free agency or if it's free agency or whatever, like I, I want to see him be more aggressive. This is where like free agency to me is where you plug needs and you just have to bite the bullet and realize sometimes, yeah, we're overpaying here, but we we can't let this position sink us. And tight end and left tackle the past few years have contributed to why the Colts have sunk. So this year, what is that? I mean, that's where it's a little harder for me because they're taking a more long-term approach. We don't know who the quarterback is, and that will define the offensive system in some ways. You know, I'd like to think like, you know, right guard could be that, maybe slot receiver. But again, you could you could address some of them in the draft too. Um, the main thing though, I guess I'd get at for this year is they've just got to add some competition at some of these spots. They've got to add some options to possibly start, you know, push Bernard Ryman at left tackle to possibly be a starter at right guard. You can still draft if that's what you want to do uh, at those positions, but you need it to where not one guy has to be the answer. And if you don't have them, you're screwed, which is what happened with Matt Pryor and Danny Pinter last year. So just a few more signings, even lower level, even just, you know, Guys who could who could possibly start or possibly not would be helpful. Um, there's a few guys out there that that like, you know, like for example, at right guard, Will Hernandez played last year at the Cardinals, which is where Cam Turner came from, their quarterbacks coach, and all of a sudden like had a resurrecting year. Former second round pick, failed with the Giants, but last year was a really good pass protector. He's not established enough to get a top deal, but that's a guy you can bring in and say, you know, you you look like a starting right guard to us. They want to solve it that way. Or just a guy who can be a fallback at left tackle. Uh, Trey Pipkins is one of those guys out of the Chargers who, if he doesn't get a starting job, you know, I would try and sell him on the idea of maybe you can come in and, you know, and win this competition. Because at the end of the day, they knew their left tackle has to be whoever can play it best. It is so important to the success of any quarterback, but especially a rookie who's not as, you know, who, who just needs that support right away. So it's just don't let one position sink you the way that, um, that they have the past couple of years. Bobby Okereke is not going to Chicago. Um, a lot of times people talk about uh, players just signing with former coaches, but Bobby Okereke is not going to Chicago. Uh, while we're taping this, the Bears just signed Tremaine Edmonds to a four-year, $72 million deal worth $50 million guaranteed. They signed TJ Edwards also. Yeah, there's a lot of other spots for Okereke to land, but he's just not going to Chicago, um, which is which is maybe instructive. I think a lot of times when we talk about this, we just talk about guys following coaches and stuff around, but that's not necessarily always the case. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting. I, I want I would like some upside plays in free agency. The Autry signing is one that like. They got him for three years and I think less than 18 million. And then he produced, it was a starting guy who played like three different positions or played two different positions for the Colts. And uh, basically what happened was Chris Ballard and the Colts pro scouting staff identified somebody who was in the wrong system as on his rookie deal. He was in, he was with the Raiders. He was playing in a three, four, um, three, four defensive ends are not asked to primarily penetrate. Their job is to hold up blocks. And the Colts thought that if you got Autry in a penetrating uh, scheme, that he'd be much more productive. And they were right. 
he had 20 sacks over three seasons. Um, and obviously has been a, has been a good player for Tennessee after moving on. They, they Colts made a mistake in not re-signing him um, because he's aged very well. And I would like a few more signings like that, like guys who maybe you have to pay, you know, five, six, seven million dollars, but you see something in them that 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 might fit in what you want to do better than it fit in wherever they were. And just trust yeah. yourself as a, as a pro scouting department. I was going through like their bigger money free agents or their bigger name free agents. And I think I was like eight or nine good signings to four bad ones. And and two, I think two of the bad ones were, were still lower money. Like I was, I was really stretching the, the definition of, you know, good of a, of a big money signing. And if if you're good at it, maybe do a little more of it. You know, maybe maybe tap into that a little bit more and finding all that stuff. And that's so, where we don't know whether you know the full limit of what the constraints are above them as far as spending from the ownership level. The conversation that just brought up about uh, Lamar Jackson. I mean, it applies to free agency some where you have to still with guaranteed deals. I mean, it's obviously it's not Lamar Jackson two hundred fifty million, but they add up as far as you know, putting money into escrow for guarantees. And, you know, I know the Colts work within a budget there. Now, one advantage to getting Lamar, though, is you, you would boost some local revenue to where you could potentially have make some of that back up. But with free agency, they have to, you know, they do need to take a few more swings like that. And, and one guy I'll throw out there as far as you talked about, like, you know, when you gain a sense that this guy has more value than maybe the league does, maybe you know that or you feel like you can bring it out, like one guy I've thought about with that is, um, and I don't know if he'll get signed before this comes out, but Andre Dillard from the Eagles, they drafted him to be a left tackle out of the first He's round. He's been interesting to me for a while. I agree with this one. Keep going. Yeah. They drafted him out of the first round, and then Jordan Mailata just hit a seventh-round project pick they got from the international level. So they just said, okay, we got a left tackle. We're not going to break it. And they kind of used Dillard in a few different ways. But – um, he never really got the chance to show whether he was a left tackle. Now he's hitting free agency, and he's supposed to be a guy that's going to come in a market for teams that liked him coming out of the draft. There's no reason to believe yet that he couldn't play. There's just not evidence that he's proven at it. But who would know him a little bit more than everyone else would be his offensive coordinator for the Eagles. Shane Steichen saw him every day in practice, and you'd think he has a little bit better knowledge of that. It's obviously still a projection, but that's one of those where, like, if they could find a franchise left tackle who's got a first-round pedigree, who is now aged to be entering into his prime, and they can get that for something below what those guys normally go for, which is crazy money, then that could end up being a really good signing. Because right now, the two positions that, that they are just they they need left tackle and quarterback to figure out. They got to kind of tie them together for this to work for a rookie. Uh, so if that's like that. They're going to have to take a swing at some point on a left tackle if, if it's not – if Bernard Ryman doesn't hit. And I don't know if he will, but it's just one of those where, like, I've seen people talk about Ryman and they talk about, like, you know, he's serviceable. It's fine. It's not the biggest weakness. They need as strong as they can get at left tackle to make the quarterback work. These kind of things are tied together. So I'm not – you know, I, I'm all for giving him that opportunity with some other competition if that's the route they want to go. But they could also do something else where they just – go for a much higher swing, not a guy who was in the third round of project, but a first round player that his coach knows. And that's what Andre Dillard would be. 
Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if they make any of those types of signings over the next couple of days. Uh, you know, we're four hours into this, and the Bears have made like six signings, and the Colts don't have any yet, and still haven't released any quarterbacks. Um, so it feels like and this the Colts signed Tyquan Lewis. They did sign somebody. No, no fan out there is can count re-signings. They never have. They signed Taekwon at the same time last year, and it didn't make anybody any happier. Um, so it, we'll see if there's anything different. You know, I'd like to see. I'd like to see a little bit more. I, I'm, I'm, I don't really understand why Matt Ryan or Nick Foles haven't been released yet that doesn't make sense to me yeah that would clear almost 20 million because right now they they only have like 12 million available that actually probably went down with taekwon um but it's it's not it's as much not as you much. would think taekwon, taekwon only counted one taekwon should only count a million and a half against the cap because his base is oh yeah i'm gonna do the i'm gonna do the math right now and i'm not gonna explain it so i apologize to podcast listeners but his base is 1.08 million and then he has uh, roster bonuses of sixty thousand. The the way that those roster bonuses are negotiated on the cap is that it's called likely to be earned. So it's based on what you did last year. He only played in seven games last year, so that would be in the forty two four hundred twenty thousand range. So that makes put the base salary and that together. I think he probably counts one point five million on the cap. Yeah, and there's other if ways. That's that they too can... much for you. I'm sorry, and I'm also not sorry. I'm not gonna. We're not gonna spend a whole bunch of time with me talking about the cap. That that's not great yeah. podcasts. No, it's just it helps understand the general market they're in, and they don't have as much money as you would think for a team that is going to go the rookie quarterback route most likely. But they can also create a bunch with releasing Matt Ryan, Nick Foles. If they decide to move on from Ryan Kelly or Mo Alley Cox, like you can all of a sudden, you know, you you can. They could just release those four guys I mentioned if they wanted to, and they that that alone would clear up like twenty five million dollars. So there's things they can do if if spending on somebody is what they really want to do this this spring. Could they could they be trying to trade the quarterbacks somehow? I don't I'm, know I'm who would be trading for Matt Ryan at that. Yeah, I, that's that's the thing. I don't I I don't know. I don't know. I, it's confusing to me. It's confusing to me, and uh, I think I can I think, say this. I can think I can say this. It's confusing to some of the people involved. <laughs> that's that's maybe my way of putting it. It is confusing. The thing I think about, though, is I, I'm guessing they want to figure out what their veteran plan is at quarterback before they make any moves. And the ripple, like, they're reacting still to – the fact that they're not picking number one. So they have to be more open-minded to longer trajectories. A guy at number one, if they went up to get to number one, they draft C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young, you probably are going to start those guys day one. It's a different conversation with Will Levis and Anthony Richardson, or if they decided to look at Hendon Hooker, who's currently injured. And what's interesting about this is with the quarterback thing is they are they have to do free agency before the draft. And so – like if those two were reversed and they drafted Anthony Richardson, they could sell somebody on, Hey, we're redshirting him for a year. You can start this whole year. It's a little like, it's more of a leap of faith right now to say that when teams know these quarterbacks, know you're going to draft guy at number four. Yeah. If I'm trying to be a starter this year and prove myself, that'd be like Jacoby Brissett, I think is a guy that you could think of as like, he had a pretty good year. And until Deshaun Watson came in and took his job in Cleveland, he may be thinking, Hey, I want to do another year of this and pr- try to chase, 
kind of that, that Geno Smith route to becoming a starter again after being a backup, you want to go somewhere where you feel like you're not going to be on the bench by week one. And I don't, <laughs> we don't know what's going to happen here. We have no idea. And that's kind of the challenge they have. And you brought up Marcus Mariota. He did just deal with that in Atlanta. But if you read the coverage there, it didn't sound like it went very smoothly as far as, you know, the, the dynamic between him and Desmond Ritter and the way that Arthur Smith handled that. It got very contentious and Desmond and, and Marcus Mariota was kind of MIA for a little bit in there. And so these guys are all going to be thinking about that. And it's it makes it I, a little different. I just know I just know that regardless of what happened with Marcus Mariota last year, I know not from the Colts side that he's a possibility. Put it that way. Yeah. Well, and they were interested in. Jameis Winston last year as mm-hmm. well before you know before that it went the way it did and they went on to Matt Winston Ryan. Isn't avail- Winston isn't available yet either. And there was a report over the uh, yeah. weekend he might restructure his contract to stay as Derek Carr's backup, which is that'd be shocking. Lots of so many eye- eyeball emojis. Very confusing. Yeah. I mean, we'll discuss Jameis more if they actually go down that road. That when I talk about plans for your quarterback, I think uh the big thing is whoever they sign as a starter needs to be kind of a role model for that rookie if you're going to keep him on the bench. And Jameis Winston scares me a lot in that way. I'll just say that. I, but another I guy thinking, I put on the list. I keep, thinking, I keep thinking Jameis Winston, whether or not he can get it, would like a more of the what you were talking about where you know that they want to sit the rookie for a year and you get a, a full year to prove yourself to, to the rest of the NFL and earn your next job. I don't yep. think my my assumption and my understanding of Winston is that Winston still believes he doesn't have to go the backup route for the rest of his career. Now he might have to, but it's it's about what the player thinks they can get, thinks they can do yeah. it when it comes to this, you know. And I I wonder if Geno Smith's going to inspire some more of them. Is that like that guy yeah, was cemented as a backup for like a decade, and then all of a sudden now he just signed a deal for three years, seventy five. Like if you were even just a you can have one year as a good starting quarterback, and if the team wants you back or they don't feel like they have options, like you can get money in a hurry. Gina Smith did it. Daniel Jones, who was kind of on the on the edge coming into last year, just got forty million a year. So that is a lot more money than backups are getting. So I don't I don't blame guys who think that way of like give me that chance. Um, so we'll just see, and it may come down to guys that they have maybe personal connections can pull some of this through in a different way. So Gardner Minshew is a guy that, you know, played for Shane Steichen and maybe, maybe he'd take them at their word more than someone that they don't know. I don't know. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see what happens. I I still think, I still think both of those quarterbacks end up moving or end up getting released sometime soon. A little weird. They haven't done it yet. Don't, don't really know what they're hanging on to there. Um, be interesting to see just from a football standpoint, like what happens with Matt Ryan once they or if they do release him, you know, you know, does he retire as somebody who's always been a starter? Like, would he want to take the kind of job that he'd have to take to continue to continue playing? I don't know. Yeah. Hard to know. One, one sneaky option for him is there could be a world where the 49ers want to sign Matt Ryan. Really depends on where they're at with Trey Lance, but they haven't been confident in him yet. Brock Purdy's out for the summer. Um, <laughs> like Matt Ryan, if you think about it, like where he, what he looked like at the end of last year was like, you know, very little velocity, very little, 
you know, arm ability left, obviously a pocket quarterback. But if you put him in an offense, like the only way I think that he could work as a starter is a yak heavy offense where he's truly just a brain and a distributor. And that's what the 49ers are. So that that's like the one place I could see him being like pretty fired up to actually go there and probably has to compete with Trey Lance, but you know, also I, having your, also having your, uh, having your, uh, your blind side protected by Trent Williams would not be, uh, you, you could feel pretty comfortable there. Well, 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 better than last year's Colts. You could feel, you could feel a lot, lot more comfortable in the pocket when that guy's on the backside. <laughs> um, okay. Well, we're going to go back to monitoring. Nate's going to go back to writing his Lamar Jackson piece. So I'm going to go back to trying to find out what's going on with these free agents. And uh, we'll be back at some point to talk about whatever happens. If something happens. Chase McLaughlin's a guy that I feel like should be re-signed already. They talked to him at the Combine. It was all positive, but there's nothing moving right now. Now, you know, it's, it's, it is only four hours in. The Colts sometimes make these signings in the last, you know, 24 hours before free agency starts. But I, I would re-sign Chase McLaughlin. Yeah. Well, I mean, unless they're going to I, chase... I think, so, from a fan standpoint, this is... Well, I'll leave this maybe... Hopefully, you guys get a chuckle out of this. From a fan standpoint... Uh, obviously, I, you you want players. I get that. Uh, from a writer standpoint, what happens? The frustration for us, at least for me, comes with uh, working really hard, trying to find stuff out, and then nothing happening. And like, it's, you'd be like, "Hey, if I'm going to put in this kind of effort, like, at least make me do something." <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, so I hopefully know. that's a bit of a chuckle for people. But yeah, hopefully well, there's something to discuss a little bit later in the week. Uh, for for what where the Colts are? Yeah, it, yeah. Chase is one of those interesting ones. Like that's that again comes down to like, do you want to chase an upgrade? A guy like Matt Gay, it's like a rare Pro Bowl kicker who's available. Uh, used to be on the Colts, so that's kind of an interesting one. But but yeah, Chase is an easy. Like there are some guys like that that are um, that you can bring back to just know what you have at a difficult spot. We'll we'll just have to see how they how they end up doing it, but. They're uh, they're <laughs> they've been interesting to follow in free agency, meaning they don't do very much. And I'm curious to hear if this year's different and what ways it's different. Because Chris Ballard did promise he'd grow, didn't tell us what the ways would be. But free agency to me was always a good measuring stick for I, how that. I happened. was surprised. I will I will admit I was surprised when I went back and looked at. You could convince me on Matt Gay. You could convince me on Matt Gay. Yeah, he's pretty good. He's uh, he's like eighty-five percent from more than forty yards over the past two years, which is better than Chase McLaughlin is from all distances in his career. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could convince me on Matt Gay. That's a good one. Um, you could definitely convince me on that. Well, I mean, and he he maybe is more of a an actual like long-term option because the thing with McLaughlin is he. I mean, he was nine of twelve from fifty last year, but. He was. He still was only eighty-three point eighty-three percent, and he he kind of hovers around that eighty percent for his his career. So if they're if if that's the reason they haven't signed McLaughlin is that they're going after somebody uh, like Gay, who's been a ninety. I mean, he's probably well. He's last two he's years. sixty of six. He's sixty of sixty-four the last two years. Yeah. Uh, got, if, if that's if that's what's going on, then I'm fine with it. I'm fine with that. And he's got a Super Bowl ring, so you know eventually you want a kicker to make the big kicks in the postseason. I 
I I am not going to give him credit for like I'm not gonna he doesn't get credit for that. <laughs> Aaron Donald gets credit for that Super Bowl ring. <laughs> All right, fair enough. I, I I still would play it up in negotiations if I'm him. Um, I, I I Matthew Stafford and uh, Cooper Cup and Aaron Donald they 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 get he, he did a good job for them. I'll say that he did a good job for them, but yeah. if. If he tried to tell me, hey, I'm a Super Bowl winning kicker, I'd be like, eh, I mean, Aaron Donald made the big play in the end. Yeah. Uh, anyway, no, I, I, that's 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 interesting. I'm glad you brought that up because now that you tell me that Matt Gay's available, I kind of think they should go get Matt Gay. Yeah, um, he's, he's one of my favorites that I looked at when I put the list together. I, I like, I prefer, like people are always like, I don't care, it's a kicker. I don't feel that way. I would actually I prefer to have a kicker that I believe in for a long time. Yeah. Ever since my first year in the field, the uh, the Bears decided they wanted to save some money, and any kicker will do, so they cut Robbie Gold. And That's you what happened when they made, for that. Remember what happened when they made the playoffs and they could win a home playoff game on a field goal? Yeah. And then Robbie Gold, oh, yeah. who is considered older, went over to the 49ers and ends up kicking in a Super Bowl and two NFC Championship games and – um, helping them win in Lambeau and stuff like that. So it is a very important piece come that winning time. And obviously the Colts right now are, you know, they, they're probably not going to be a playoff team this year. But the thing is, like, a, a kicker can play for you for, like, 15 years. Uh, so at some point they're going to want a guy who can nail those big-time clutch kicks, and not everyone can do it. So I do think they should get I, a little bit more serious. Yeah, I much – I much prefer the kick because because here's the thing like even the most expensive kickers are going to come in at like four point four point five million dollars. If you can't if you can't uh, handle that on your cap, you suck. Yeah, especially <laughs> when you're going to have a rookie quarterback. That's your job. <laughs> like if you're a team with a rookie just, quarterback, you're, you're like and like and like I I just it's nice to me when you don't have to worry about that at all. Like, yeah. just don't. It's just, you just and, and you just know you've got a good guy. And ultimately, to me, free agency is about finding those guys you trust to do the incredibly difficult jobs that you just have to have someone do. And so, like, kicker, left tackle, if that's what you need. Tight end, last year they should have done that with. Like, those things were like, you can't just go to the draft and expect the rookie to do it. And And there's just positions like that every year. And that's where I think free agency is super valuable. And I think the teams that do it best, um, the contending teams don't build. It's not like they go out and sign half their starters in free agency, but you do find them go out and get guys that they really need, like the Chiefs getting offensive linemen that they didn't want to trust rookies. So kicker's another position like that that's like, yeah, I'm going to go get the, I'm going to pay a little bit more to get the guy who for sure can do it because he's done it than just hope on a rookie or hope on, you know, on Chase McLaughlin not regressing back to the career norms. That's a good one. I'm glad you brought that up. So for the Colts Cover 2 podcast, I'm Joel A. Erickson. This has been Nate Atkins. We're going to get back to work on free agency and what the Colts might do at quarterback. And we'll see. We'll see where all this goes, uh, given what we've got going on. Uh, keep keep the dial tuned to IndyStar.com. We've got stuff up. Nate's, Nate's Lamar Jackson piece is coming out. A lot of stuff I'm working on is going to be the transactional stuff uh, here over the next couple of days, but you can read about what it means for Colts. Uh, I'm not, I'm going to try my best with um, guy signed. I'm going to try to give you a little bit of what it means for the depth chart and everything like that. So 
keep your dial tuned there. We'll, we'll be we'll be working on it and trying to figure out what the Colts are going to do. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.